Tanner, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Scripture and reading tonight will be in Daniel 6, 10 through 12, and then 16, 17. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got onto his knees three times a day and prayed. He gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Then these men came by an agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, then came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then looking into 16, says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continue to deliver you. And a stone was brought before and laid in the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, y'all, it feels good to be back in the chapel together. We started this service two and a half years ago in this very room. And, you know, with COVID and everything, we made the switch over to the sanctuary so that we could spread out. But now that we're in a different place, we can all come back together, be closer together. I can actually see your faces tonight, which is incredible. And not just like the first two rows. And it, I mean, y'all over there, I felt just like I was on the bow of the ship, you know, like at the front of the Titanic and everything. But here more on our level. And tonight we're gonna be picking up right where we left off a few weeks ago. And we're gonna be concluding our series called coloring sheets, where we are going through and where we are looking at some of the most famous and beloved Old Testament stories, the ones that we probably did coloring sheets growing up if you went to Sunday school, right? And so you were able to see Thomas and Will Jenkins, aka Dubs, and that was Dubs made his first appearance in the video this week, and I mean, it just the, melts my heart seeing those boys up there. But it's one of those, you know, when you're going through, Thomas, as he's retelling these stories, it's really interesting what sticks, Right? There's a lot of stuff that we carry over, right? And there's a lot of things that we look at in the stories of Scripture that are right, true, good, and that are there. And then there are some things that maybe we kind of fill in the gaps a little bit, right? Where we fill in the, like the fact that Daniel had a slumber party and had pizza with the lions, over the night, right? If that's why the, if you couldn't hear, that's what the little slice of pizza covered up dubs his head, which is very large. And he was going through and he's talking about, because, why? It's because he's seen the veggie tales, right? And where the little asparagus comes hopping out of the lion's den and he had been having pizza with the lions partying hard all night, right? And so it's one of those things that creative license, right? Probably wasn't there. But as we're going back and as we are actually looking at the pages of scripture, what we're going to be able to see is that these stories are not just like moralistic tales, right? It's not like the Christian book of virtues. But what we're going to see is really when we come to the Old Testament, that they are Christian scriptures as well. And that the Bible itself frames how we are to use and view the Old Testament stories. We see Paul in the book of Romans chapter 15 as he's moving towards the end of that magnum opus of a letter, right? And he goes and he says, whatever was written in former days, talking about the Old Testament, it was written for your instruction, right? So this was written for our instruction that we might learn, that we might be able to put into practice some of the things that are there. But not only that, but we look, Jesus, 
In the Gospel of John in chapter 5, verse 39, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's actually rebuking them, and he says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it is they that testify about me. Or Jesus in Luke chapter 24, when he's talking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he's already resurrected. He's coming back. They don't know that he's back. And he's, their eyes are kept from understanding him, who he is. And he begins to open the scriptures to them and pointing in all of the places the things concerning himself. Jesus is the interpretive key that unlocks the Old Testament for Christians. And the story of Daniel in the lion's den is no different. And so we're going to be diving into Daniel chapter 6. And so turning your Bibles there, or if you want to, you can follow along at different points. It'll be up on the screen. If you remember Daniel, right? Daniel and the book of Daniel, this is God's people in exile, right? Well, what do we mean exile? They had the country, right? The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. But then both of those kingdoms conquered, sent to Assyria and sent to Babylon. Daniel is a part of the exile that has gone to Babylon. And you get to the beginning part of the book of Daniel. And we talked last year as we were going through our series on idols, right? And that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, they at the beginning of the book are going through. They say, we're not going to eat the meat from the king's table. We're not going to drink the king's drink. Give us veggies and water, please. You know, not what I would have chosen. But he's going over there. And they afterwards are promoted. They are trusting in God. And then, right, we get the story of the fiery furnace that they are thrown into the fire. And then there's a fourth one that appears like the son of man. They come out, not a hair has been singed. Their clothes don't even smell like smoke. And what happens? Nebuchadnezzar starts to confess that the God of Israel is the true God. But then Babylon gets conquered by the Persians. And so there's a changing of the guard. And Daniel is being bounced around all over the place. When we pick up in Daniel chapter six with Daniel and the lion's den, I don't know what you picture of Daniel, but Daniel at this point in his life is 80 years old. That's no, okay. It caught me off guard too. He is 80 years. He is an elderly man at this point in his life. Like, you know, just with the children's Bibles that we have and in the coloring sheets, we almost always think that this is something of him going through and being like just young teenage Daniel standing up for, you know, his, in his youth and everything like that. Really, Daniel was probably walking around with a walking stick at this point. Because when we are able to triangulate the dates of when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, when he had been taken over there into exile, he had been serving and working his way up into leadership for a long, long time. And so Daniel, as a senior citizen, is now here, and he is being put over so much under this new regime. And there are some folks that just can't stand it at all. The fact that this foreigner... This old man is going to be put in charge. This is a young man's game. This is a part of our heritage. And we're going to give it to this guy from exile who like, they couldn't even take care of their own country. And now we're going to put him up in rulership here. I don't think so. And so people start to scheme and it gets Games of Thrones all up in here. They go, they try to look at verse four in chapter six. They're digging up dirt. They're trying, they're digging any particular way that they can make him out. But they're not able to find anything. And what they end up having to do is they have to say the only weakness that he has is the fact that he is so devoted to his God. That's something that we can exploit. 
That is something that we can work with. And so what did these satraps do over there in the Persian Empire? They go over to King Darius, oh, with flattery, you know, just going over, King Darius, oh, King, live forever. You know what we need to do? You're so great. We need to put an injunction. We need to make like a temporary law, like 30 days, hard and fast. Anybody that prays to anybody other than you, lion pit. What do you think of that? Well, the king is like, oh, man, I didn't realize that I was that cool. But yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. Yes, we will do this injunction. We will have this rule. Anybody that prays or that seeks the favor of any other God or man besides me for the next 30 days, pit of lions. And then what happens? The people are like, yes. We've got him. Let's see if Daniel can make it 30 days without talking to his God. Well, the thing about it is they underestimated Daniel. Daniel couldn't even make it one day. So we see this right here in verses six and following. These high officials, they came. Oh, King Darius lived forever. We look at verse seven, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects. And they agreed that the king should establish this ordinance. And for 30 days, Don't pray to anybody except to you, O king. We jump ahead and we're able to see that Daniel, he would not have a go-between. Daniel would not be deterred. He would not be detoured. He would not be delayed in his devotion to God because we see this in chapter 6, verse 10. Look along with me. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, towards his homeland, towards the promise of God. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I love that, especially those last three words, as the last four, as he had done previously. That he was not deterred. He was not going to be rerouted. He was not going to be delayed. This was how important his relationship with God was. And you know, I mean, if you were to think like, man, Daniel, you couldn't have waited 30 days? Or you couldn't have like just kept the doors closed? Like God sees the heart, right? You know, he would have understood for the sake of yourself, for the sake of longevity. Like you could have figured out a different way for this short time period to have been able just to deal with this short interim period. You don't even have to stay silent. Just keep it super under wraps. Go in the prayer closet for a little while. It would actually be good and wise for you to go along with this. But Daniel knew the spirit behind what was going on. And this is the thing about seasoned saints. They often don't give a care. Daniel had been able to see the faithfulness of God through being in the promised land and carried into exile. Daniel had been able to see the faithfulness of God as his best friends were thrown into the fiery furnace and brought out on the other side. Daniel saw the faithfulness of God as regimes changed. Daniel saw the faithfulness of God every day and every step of his life. And he was not going to be deterred. He was not going to be delayed in giving devotion to the one to whom it was due. This is how important his relationship with God was. He had seen it all, and so he continued to do what he knew to do, and he pursued the Lord. And this is, you know, we said again, all Scripture pointing to Christ. This is what we see Jesus, the very Son of God, do himself. 
is it not? That Jesus, he would often retreat away to be with the Father, even after days of long, grueling ministry. Or that he would rise early in the morning. He, the second person of the Trinity, still had the desire for fellowship with his heavenly Father. That a lot of times we are so wrapped up in doing things for God at the expense of actually being with God. That we try to see religious activity as a substitute for abiding in his presence. But with Christ, he had the desire, even with people scheming against him later in his life, he would go and retreat even the night before his crucifixion. Where was he? Alone with the Father, with his disciples a little distance away, praying before God. He would continue to do what he knew to do and he desires for us to do, and that is to pursue God. So let's bring this portion of Scripture at home to your life. There will be people that scheme against you. There will be people that will seek to exploit your faithfulness to God. It might not come through edicts and injunctions from satraps in Babylon or Persia. But it might come in different ways in the days, weeks, years, and decades to come. And you need to go ahead and decide right now, how will I respond in those moments? Will I be delayed? Will I be deterred? Will I be rerouted? In pursuit, or will I trust in the faithfulness of God who has seen me through so much? The one who I can say again and again, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy even when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. People will scheme against you. People will seek to exploit your faithfulness to God. They will try to tear you down, lead you away, trip you up, but continue to do what you know to do. Pursue God. Chase after him. Follow in the steps of Christ who has walked before and gone before us and ask for help, y'all. You don't have to do this on your own. This is not a solo venture. God has so gifted us, the church, to walk alongside and to hold each other up. And I would encourage you to go a step further. When you are trying to not shoulder these as well, yes, find friends in this season of life that can come alongside you, but y'all find some old people. Find some seasoned saints who have seen some stuff. Because y'all, if you are only ever getting perspectives and wisdom and feedback from people that are in your same age and stage of life, yes, you might be creating an echo chamber. You might just be looking for self-validation but you need to be around folks who have been able to see and trace the faithfulness of God for a long time. That have a heightened and deepened perspective that can help you to see maybe what is difficult for you to see in this moment. Don't try to do this on your own. Lean on others and lean on those who have seen some stuff. And like Daniel, we must stand against the schemes and we can do so with a quiet confidence. With a quiet confidence because as we continue on in the story of Daniel, the men come to the king. They accuse Daniel of breaking the injunction. And the king's hands are tied. If you actually go through and look at the portion of scripture we did not read tonight, the king really likes Daniel. And he spends all day trying to figure out a way to go through the loopholes to get Daniel out. But these guys, they covered their bases. They know the political maneuvers. And they made sure that there were no outs. The king's hands were tied. And so now Daniel's hands are tied as he is bound for the lion's pit. And as he is on his way there, as we slow down in this story, we notice something here, or rather something that isn't there. Daniel is silent. 
We haven't heard Daniel utter a word at all up until this point. That he, there is no self-defense, there's no appeal, there's no lashing out, trying to tear the others down and return, return, right? There's no like retribution. There's no, hey, they're trying to tear me down, so I'm gonna tear them down. You know, they posted this, I'm gonna post this. I'm gonna rage quit, I'm gonna do this, that. They've been, oh, I've seen, I know some, I've got some clout, I've got some weight, I've got some connections, I'm gonna exploit this. None of that. But this seasoned saint, as he's going through, he has a settled, quiet confidence not in himself, but in the God who delivers. The God that he spends so much time with. And I don't know about y'all, but this is what I so desperately need. I need this God confidence. I don't need this self-confidence. I don't need others coming up and saying, oh, you're so smart. Or, oh, you're so pretty. Or, oh, you're so intelligent. Or, oh, you're so this, that, or the other. We don't need those kinds of things and building each other up in those kinds of ways. What we need is the kind of God confidence because all those other things, they can be taken away. They're gonna fade. They're gonna be gone. But you know what doesn't change? God and the God confidence that can say that he is righteous, he is holy, he is loving, he is just, he is merciful. He is enough. That this is that kind of God confidence in his faithfulness that the same who acted back here is going to act over here, who has promised over here will make good on his promise there. And when we actually cling and hold on to the promises of God, the true promises, not the things that we think are promises. A lot of times so many of our doubts are wrapped up into, a lot of times so many of our frustrations are wrapped up in holding God to promises that he never made. But when we hold tight to the word of God and we claim the promises that he has so made to his people, when we see that he is faithful, he has always been faithful to us. That we can say, great is thy faithfulness. We can have this quiet confidence where we don't always need to defend ourselves, where we don't always need to have the last word, where we look to God to be the one who vindicates. We look to God to be the one who justifies. This is the same disposition that Christ had. Because we also remember when others were scheming against him when there were all these political and religious maneuvers that were taking place, gymnastics and late night meetings back door. And they were all coming together to crucify him. But Jesus, as he's going through his trial, we're like, oh, please just say something, right? Just let them know. Defend yourself. But what happens? Jesus, in fulfilling Isaiah 53, where it says, and like a sheep before the shearers is silent, and like a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. That Jesus had this quiet confidence in knowing in the way that he was walking and that God would vindicate and that God would act, not preventing the cross, but bringing him through it. Not eliminating the suffering, but bringing him through it. Not rerouting, but taking him directly through knowing that the suffering and the cross would not be the end. You can have quiet confidence in the God who has been faithful and who continues to be faithful. And this is the reason why we can go to passages that when I read in the New Testament, Daniel comes to mind. And then following, pointing as he points forward to Christ, that Christ epitomizes that we see in Philippians chapter four. Look at this on the screens or in your Bibles. Look at this passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness, that could also be translated gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And this is it, y'all. So for some of you, this, this is like move to the top of the list for memorization purposes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. No matter how big, no matter how small, God wants you to bring these things before him. In verse seven, look at this. And the peace of God, the very peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it does not make sense. It does not compute in our natural order. And when everything else says it should be going this way, the peace of God speaks a different and better word. And this peace, what does it do? It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That, oh, I love it. It's a military term that Paul is appropriating by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is saying that the very peace of God is standing guard at attention over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is what you have access to. And the enemy wants you to hold on to your burdens. The enemy wants you to cling tightly to them. The enemy wants you to try to figure things out on your own. And what God is saying is, child of God, you can roll these things off of your shoulders and lay them down at my feet. And yes, there might be a little bit of work involved. Yes, it might take some time. It might not be instantaneous, but you can claim the very promise of God that the peace, his very peace, not the absence of conflict, not this kind of like oneness with the universe, none of that kind of bogus peace, but the very peace, the wholeness, the fullness of the kingdom of God will stand guard over your heart and your mind. That this is what you have access to. And it's what we see epitomized in Daniel in this seasoned saint and why he is able to not try to defend himself, why he is able to just walk quietly with confidence, trusting in the God who has acted and who he trusts will act. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. He could die in the lion's den, but if he does, he knows that he'll be with the one who made him and who's redeemed him. Kind of a little bit earlier, I love the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they were thrown in the furnace. We believe God can deliver us out of this. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow the knee to you. It's that quiet confidence to be able to cultivate that. And Daniel, he goes into the pit primed with peace, y'all. And we see that in verses 18 to 22 that he is not abandoned. Daniel is thrown into the pit. And it's sealed with a stone. And the king has a sleepless night, wondering what is happening down there. When day breaks, the king bolts to see if he's still there. He shouts after Daniel. And then we finally get Daniel's first words. And he only speaks after he's delivered. Verse 21. And I just picture Daniel kind of kicked back, you know, wrinkles on his face. Kind of with the sun. He's been in the dark all night, squinted. And just has his hand. Because one of the lions is purring. And he says, O king, live forever. Interesting. It's what the satrap said earlier. But he's saying it with a heart that has been delivered. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless 
before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. You see, now this does not mean that Daniel was sinless. We're going to see in just a couple of chapters, Daniel chapter 9, if you were to continue reading, he actually leads a corporate and individual confession. But it does mean that in this matter that Daniel could not be blamed and God vindicated him and his life is miraculously preserved. But it's not like, you know, the, the lions were just lame or something or the lions weren't hungry because what happens after this is Daniel's pulled up. The king says, all right, all you that tried to do this, you in there. And it says before their bodies even hit the ground, they were torn to shreds. That God miraculously preserved Daniel through the pit. Now, this does not mean that since Daniel did not die in the pit, that you will not die in the pit. Daniel still eventually died. But here we have a miracle that is a pointer to a reality beyond itself. I love the way that I've heard others put it before that the miracles in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, are not naked displays of power. There are a lot better things that you could do to get a show, right? Stop up a volcano, make it blow up on command, do this, that, or the other, right? There are raw demonstrations of power that you could do. But what often we see in the life of Jesus is him touching people that have skin diseases or healing people that are blind or helping people that can't walk to walk again, raising the dead to life. Why? What are they pointing to? The restoration of the bodies that he created. And what do we see right here in this instance of him being preserved through the lion pit? Well, it's a look forward, a look back, and a look to Jesus. What's the look forward? The look forward, as we can see, is something that's picked up from Isaiah chapter 11 when it talks about how the lion in the new heavens and the new earth, the lion will lie down with the fattened calf and a child will lead them. That what we see right here, that death in the new heavens and the new earth is domesticated and defanged. That right here you have the apex predator with the choicest of meat that are able to sleep next to one another and that a child can actually be in their midst. That it's a looking forward to the restoration of the created order where death no longer has reign. That it is looking forward that God is in fast time, in forward time, showing the inbreaking of the coming kingdom right here in this pit. That it is a look ahead, a restoration of creation where all is in harmony. But it's looking back in this same book to the fiery furnace where we're able to see the very angel of God who... Fun story, if you want to have another conversation, I would argue is the pre-incarnate Christ that is coming there and there is another in the fire and the one who is able to deliver and the very angel of God coming and meeting in the pit that we have God who comes to meet his people when, they're in their, when they are in the furnace and when they are in the pit. But it's not enough just to say that we have a God that meets us in the furnace. We have a God that meets us in the pit and it's just like, I know what it's like in here. It's okay. Oh, they're there. You know, all this other kind. No, but we have a God who meets us there and who brings us out. That they didn't stay in the furnace, that they didn't stay in the pit, and that we have the very same God who is able to deliver not just from the furnace, not just from the pit, but from sin and death itself. Not to the point that we won't go to death, because unless Jesus comes back, y'all, every single person in this room is going to die. 
but we can be preserved through it, that it is not the terminus, that it is not the end, that we will be brought through it. And this is one of the reasons why we have such great hope in the resurrection, that we believe that loved ones who have died in the Lord, who trusted in him, they have not breathed their last breath here on this earth. They have not walked their last step, but they will do so with all of the saints and the very creator and redeemer of their bodies and souls in the new heavens and the new earth. This is our hope, that death is defeated and hell's victory. Where is your sting? It has been taken out. They were not abandoned. You are not abandoned because we look to Jesus, the true and better Daniel, who went into the lion's den and experienced death that we would have had to have experienced, and who was put into a tomb that was also sealed with a stone, but when it was rolled away, came forth in life and in victory, sharing a message of deliverance and demonstrating to us the faithfulness of God. And because Jesus went into that ultimate lion's den, you can now with confidence a quiet, settled confidence go into the smaller lion's dens in your life. That you, I love the way Jen Wilkin put it a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. We're gonna throw it up on the screens. If you don't know Jen Wilkin, get to know her. The antidote to anxiety about the future is not to try to discern the future, to try to figure things out, to try to piece things together ahead of time, but to remember the past. Instead of straining your gaze forward, look over your shoulder and rehearse God's faithfulness to you and to all generations. The, the antidote to anxiety about the future is not to discern the future, but to remember the past. Stop trying to figure out things that you're not able to see yet, but instead reflect on what has been given to us. Rehearse God's faithfulness to you. Look over your shoulder and do it again for all generations. Stop trying to figure it out. You can't. You don't want to live out tomorrow's problems and troubles today. You can't. But remember God's faithfulness. And in doing so, let this give you a spiritual backbone of steel that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy as they try to trip you up, bring you down, and lead you away. Let this idea fill you with God confidence, not self-confidence, but God confidence that releases you from incessantly having to try to prove yourself. And let this thought fill your mind. If you don't walk away with anything else tonight, walk away with this. God has not brought you this far to abandon you. God has not brought you this far to abandon you. That was a mantra uh, for uh, Becca and I. Uh, in our dating and engagement. Uh, there was a, a lot of trouble, a lot of trials, a lot of things going on, being long distance the whole time. And then, especially in those first couple of years of marriage, y'all, marriage is hard. It's something you've got to work at. Even with people that love the Lord and love each other, it's not like everything just automatically lines up. And for us, as we're going through and navigating our own sin and how it affects each other, cumulative sin of both of our families and how they are intersecting our lives at that point. It was something that we had to repeat early and often in our marriage that God, he has not brought us this far to abandon us. 
It is something that I've had to think about in my life and my ministry. And I wish that I could stand up here and tell you that everything has just been up and to the right the whole way. But that would be a lie. That there are the days where the doubts seem louder than the truth. That there are the days when I start to question where I am, what I'm doing, and imposter syndrome takes over of like, one day I'm going to be found out. I have to remind myself that the Lord has not brought me this far to abandon me. And in you and in your life, repeat this over and over again because it is a testimony to the very faithfulness of God in your life. We see it in Daniel. We see it in Christ. And if you are in him, if you have turned from sin, if you have trusted in Christ, then you can know this to be true. That regardless of your circumstances, from without and from within, God has not brought you this far to abandon you now. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we desire to be faithful as you have been faithful. But God, so often we falter, we fail, and we fall. We pray that you would meet us, that you would stand us up, that you would lead us on, and that we would follow more closely, that we would follow more faithfully. Holy Spirit, be our help. Be our healing. Be our peace. Help us to have the quiet confidence that comes from close fellowship with you. God, would your truth speak a better word than anything that the enemy, that anything that others, that anything, God, maybe that even we ourselves would begin to say. Hold us fast, God. Hold us fast. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.